I will wait and be still knowing you're in control. Amen. Amen. It is our hope that those of you who are not able to be with us in this room, when you hear these songs of worship and praise rising from this place, somehow there's a connecting with you in your spirit right where you are. Hands go up. Maybe you need to stand to your feet in agreement and declaration. He is worthy of our praise, folks. He's worthy of our worship. And he doesn't have to have a crowd. He doesn't have to have a 500-member choir or 50,000 people in a stadium. He, he's blessed by those things too. But when it's just one somebody, blood-bought, child of the king, knowing that I'm not perfect, but bless God, I'm not what I used to be. Amen? And when we're, when we're giving him praise and loving him, I, I just believe he loves that. And he loves to see his people together praising him. So we're, we're here together this morning. We've got a good many folks in this 11 o'clock service physically present. And we believe that there are just probably... Uh, maybe even several thousand folks who are scattered all over this world that are a part of the streaming family today. Just so thankful for you, so thankful. You could have made some choices to do some other things with your Sunday mornings, but you've made the choice to enter into the house of the Lord. It may be a virtual house of the Lord in some ways, but but we're glad when he says unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. And we do that on Sunday morning. Some of you will be watching this at other times during the week. And we're grateful, grateful for that um, as well. I, I want to say a word of, of thank you and a word of appreciation to those of you who, who have been faithfully, um, even from the place of your need, um, supporting and encouraging what we're trying to do from the Alamo City location here in San Antonio. If, if it were not for your generosity, your obedience to the prompting of the Spirit, we, we wouldn't be able to stream these services. That What's going on would just happen in this house. But thank you for doing what the Lord is, is prompting you to do. And I love hearing this story. <laughs> You know, of how, how he just proves his word, but, you know, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, spilling over into your lap. Stories of folks just doing what the Lord is prompting them to do, giving out of obedience, not waiting for the plenty, but giving out of the, out of the, 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 the poverty in a sense, just giving out of the place of need and how the Lord restores, replenishes, and gives us not more so we can keep it, but gives us more so we can give. It was the greatest joy is in, is in giving, and uh, he proves that to us. So thank you. Bless you. We had a, had a truckload of fresh bread delivered to the church this week, and, and um, that happens on a regular basis. And those of you who are here, there are a couple of baskets of fresh-baked bread right out there. That we've, The word, as we've told you, the word's kind of out in the community, has been for several years that when, when folks are hungry and they need something to eat physically, we hope spiritually too, but physically, they can come to that place called Alabama City Church and there'll be something there for them to eat to help 
supply them for another, another bit um, of their week or a few days. And when, when that's the reputation, these, these suppliers, these vendors in the area, when they have a, an overabundance, they end up bringing it here because they know we'll give it away. And so that's happened just this, just this week again, as it happens, seems like, most, most every week to some degree. So bless you and thank you. And then we come again to this, to this subject that I just can't seem to shake. Um, and part of the reason that I can't seem to shake, to shake it is because I'm concerned that this has become a, a maybe not a completely forgotten theme in the American church, but it has, it has become something that, that um, just has been overlooked and for, for whatever reason. And, and so we... We, we, we come back to it, uh, it's the subject of how to, how to live in the power of the Spirit, rivers of living water, uh, yours for the asking. We, we'll get to all of that as we, as we work our way through this this morning. But, you know, the, the, the Lord, there are times when trouble is a blessing, when, when uh, shortages, shortages are, are, are there for a purpose, and the purpose so often will be to just gather us closer to the Lord himself. When other supplies seem to, to dry up or be diminished or be threatened, the, the child of God whose, whose heart really is down deep bent toward the father and the father's heart bent toward the child, the Lord will use these difficult times and the places where there can be literally measurable shrinkages, he uses that to draw us to him. It may not always be the physical shortages, but it can be something emotionally. Well, we're running short on hope. We're running short on forgiveness. We're running short on being able to really believe that the Lord loves me. Those are, those are very significant emotional shortages. What do we do when we find ourselves in those places of need? Well, the place that works, that's triggered in the heart of the child of God, really is to, to, to run to the Lord, to run to the Father. Father, I, I need to know your presence. I need to know that you love me. I need to hear your voice so faith can rise in my heart again. He will use the shortages. He'll use the trouble to draw us close to him because he desires from that place to show us his might to show us his power, to show us his ability, even though nothing may change in the natural for us, he can cause those rivers of living water that Jesus promised to rise up within us, not come down upon us, not come from an outside source, but to rise up within us. I want to spend some time on that this morning, how to, how to live in the Spirit's power. Now, I want you to go with me to a to a passage in the scripture that, in the in the book of Acts, that we, um, you know, we don't we don't look at very often. But I want you to find it, I, if you would please get your copy of the scripture, and I hope you'll get something to write on and something to write with to jot down a few things. I want to give you some, try to give some two or three very specific truths in this matter of how to live in the Spirit's power. We, we, we don't believe that, that we, we can come up with any kind of formula to back the, the omniscient, omnipotent, unlimited God into a corner and just demand that he do something. But there are some principles from his scripture 
that we can look at and we can realize he favors these things. This, this is what he will honor. And we can collect those and use those as, as stepping stones in the direction where we want to go. And that, that's what we're going to try to do this morning. I want you to find Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And I want to, I want to read just a, some of this um, story from the, the life of Paul out of the book of Acts as we begin this morning. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it came about that while Apollos, one of the preachers of the gospel, was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No. We've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John baptism, John the Baptist's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus and when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about 12 men. Now stay with me. Stay with me. Back up to verse 2 again. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul asked them. And their answer was, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I want to suggest from that statement that there is, there is something perhaps very similar to that answer that John the Baptist's disciples gave to Paul that would be similar to what maybe a lot of folks, even within the church, even among the family of faith, would need to say. I heard about Jesus. These hadn't even really heard about Jesus. They, they had heard John's preaching to repent of your sins, and someone is coming who's greater than I. Paul say that, would say, that's Jesus. They, they received that message about Jesus and this, oh, that's what John was talking about. We receive him and, and we repent and we turn to Christ and they were baptized on the basis of that. And then the Spirit was poured out upon them. But their answer, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, could be the answer that far too many folks within perhaps the American church the same answer that many would have to give. We, we, we heard about the cross and we heard about the blood and we heard about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and being buried and raised again. And we have embraced that message. We, we've received him as Savior and Lord. And then we were given a Bible and we were told to read the Bible and go through the discipleship courses and fill in the blanks but I don't know that we ever really have heard anything about the Spirit, about the Holy Spirit, in, in a practical sense. We, we, we get the cross down. We get the power of the blood down. Amen, right? 
that the victory that is ours, the freedom that is ours in Christ, and then we're handed a Bible, and then we get baptized, and then we're kind of sent on our way to be a part of the church with perhaps not any real teaching on who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role in our lives. Is it even relevant? Is this just this thing about the Holy Spirit, just an asterisk in the New Testament, just, just a sub-point, a minor point way down the line? Because we never heard. There can also be another group within the American church that, that has heard, has heard about the Spirit, but have heard about the Spirit and the role of the Spirit and the demonstrations of the Spirit in such a way that they're just not sure they want to go down that road. That, that's where some of you, as soon as I went ahead and read this, the, the, the rest of this part about the Spirit came upon them and they spoke with other tongues and they began to prophesy. I've had people sometimes when I read these passages, even dare to read these passages out of the book of Acts, some preachers won't even read them. You know, if you pray that, that's just too controversial. I've had people say, all right, now Pastor Walker's fixing to get it. He's fixing to tell everybody that, that if, you, if you receive the Spirit and the way you'll know you receive the Spirit is if you, if you speak in tongues. Well, the Lord, can you hear me say this? The Lord can do anything the Lord wants to do. He can do it with anybody he chooses to do it with. He can give languages. It was a demonstration of his power to give, and it was a peculiar demonstration. It was similar to that which happened in Cornelius' family in Acts chapter 10 and what happened on the day of Pentecost with 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Gave them supernaturally the ability to speak in language that were not their languages that were not their native tongues. People who heard the languages and could understand that that, that was their native tongue. It was a demonstration of the power supernaturally to be a witness for the Lord Jesus. That's just exactly what Jesus said would happen in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power. After that, you shall be my witnesses. And these are Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. And he was demonstrating on the day of Pentecost with those 120 in the upper room that he, even if you don't know the language, but he wants you to be there to bear witness of the person of Jesus Christ, he can put, he can put a language in you that you never spoke of, that you, you never spoke and wouldn't understand if somebody was saying it to you. The miracle of whether they were speaking it, it was coming out a particular way. The miracle of whether they even knew what they were doing or saying. They were so caught up in the moment and filled with the Spirit. But they were looked upon on, on Pentecost as being, Peter had to say, we're not drunk. It's too early in the day for folks to be getting drunk. We're not drunk. But there may have been something about the way those witnesses were carrying themselves. They were so full and so blessed and so thrilled that Peter needed to make that statement. Okay. Got it. It's in there. So does that mean that one size is supposed to fit all? That, that if you're filled with the Spirit, drenched in His power, that it's going to mean that, yes, sir, here's the litmus test. You're going to be able to speak in a language that you don't understand. I, I want to just, 
I just want to encourage you. Some, some of you have, have maybe felt like you just need, I don't know what to think about this Holy Spirit in power stuff because I don't understand all this tongues business. I don't understand all these, these weird demonstrations of, that they're supposed to be the Spirit. I'm not sure I want to go down that road. Well, just so we can get the rest of the teaching of Scripture from the historical account of the book of Acts, I want you to get your Bible and we're going to track this a little bit. All right, you up to it? We're going to track this. Does it mean that everybody who's filled with the Spirit upon whom the Spirit comes, there's going to be one sign and one sign only that you've been filled with the Spirit? All right, so we got that in Acts 19, but, but look, look back with me at, um, at Acts chapter 9, okay? Book of Acts, book of Acts chapter 9. Th this is when Saul of Tarsus has met the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus road, and he's convinced that he had been wrong all along about who this Jesus really is, but that, and that he is the Messiah. He was blind for three days. A man named Ananias, you'll remember, was sent to speak to him and to do the following thing. So this is Acts 9, verse 17. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, on Saul, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. And for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. No mention of tongues. This is Saul. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the writer of two-thirds of your New Testament. And nowhere is there an indication in Acts chapter 9 that immediately upon the time when he received Jesus and was filled with the Spirit, that he also spoke with other tongues. It's just not there. That he could have, and later on he would say, I speak with tongues more than all of you, but evidently he got filled with the Spirit without having to have that specific manifestation. Just check the text. I say that in love to my brothers and sisters out there who may be listening out there just saying, oh, goodness, now I'm just praying that the pastor will be, Alamo City will finally get it, will finally get it. Listen, stop, just, just quit worrying about that. You just get to praying, Lord, will you just fill them with power? Will you just set them on fire with the joy and the love of Jesus? Will you cause the fire of God to fall upon their hearts however you want to do it? And let us be witnesses of Jesus in our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and uttermost part of the earth. And it, it, it's just fine if he wants to do it all in English with us, wouldn't it? But if he wants to do some other things, he can do that too. But you can't from the text, you can't from the book of Acts say one size fits all. You can't say it. You can't say that everybody who's filled with the Spirit is always going to speak in tongues. Some may, some may, <laughs> some may, but not everybody is going to. Paul will speak of the gifts are different. The Lord sovereignly dispenses of the gifts the way he chooses to do it. And we just need to be okay with that. If, if every place where the filling of the Spirit was spoken of in the book of Acts, there was also the statement that they were all filled with the Spirit and the, and the tongues or prophesying or something was there, then it would have been there. But he specifically doesn't give that as the expression or that as the demonstration every time. 
I'm not, I'm not finished. I'm going to take a little time on this because I've, I've spent a fair amount of time trying to talk through this with people. Get off of it. Get off of it. Quit trying to press this. You, you haven't gotten really filled with the Spirit unless you have this kind of demonstration. Get off of it. You can't prove it from Scripture. I'm trying to show you why you can't. All right? Somebody say amen so I don't feel like I'm totally by myself up here. Thank you. It's truth whether we say amen or not. I'll just go ahead and lay that out there. It's the truth. This is Acts 8. Look at Acts 8. We were in Acts 9. Now we're in Acts 8. This is Samaria. The Samaritans received the gospel. Now when the the apostles, this is 14, Acts 8, 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, had received the message of Jesus, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, we just got to let that in, got to see that. They received Jesus, and that was clear. But what the apostles understood they needed was power, that they needed the power of the Spirit, not just knowing the truth about the cross, but they needed the power of the Spirit to enable them to live out this new life that was theirs in Christ. Amen. All right? So it keeps going. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. No tongues. No falling out. No no slain in the Spirit. Those things the Lord can do. But from the text of Scripture, you can't press... That that's the only way God manifests himself. The only way the Spirit manifests himself. All right, so how many more do we need? How about the big one? Let's go to the big one. This is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Folks say, oh, we just, we just need what the apostles say. We just need to have happen to us what the apostles say. We just need to have what happened to us again. What happened in the, to, to the church in Jerusalem? Well, the, the bottom line is that the same thing that happened to the apostles on the day of Pentecost didn't happen to the 3,000 who were saved as a result of their witness. But they had to have been filled with the Spirit because they were taught that they will receive the promise of the Father. And then I want you to just look at all the things that busted loose once they were filled with the Spirit, with the absence of the sense that the speaking in tongues had to be a part of it. It, it was not. It was not necessary. It wasn't a part of it. It got quiet, and that's okay. I'm, let me just keep her show you this. Acts 2. Mark this. If you've got some folks you're discussing this and trying to press something and press something, all you have to do is just walk through the book of Acts to see the Lord can do what he has done before, but he doesn't have to do it the same way again with everybody all the time. He doesn't. He, he wants you to be free and not bound in a religious tradition or structure. You're a free person in Christ. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So you don't need to be running around trying to get under some theological bondage. You just don't. And this, oh, I'm unworthy because this hadn't happened. I'm worried I really don't have the Spirit because this hadn't happened. Well, you'd have to say the same thing about, about Saul of Tarsus when he got saved. Same thing about the Samaritans in the, in the beginning time with, with them. Right, so this, this, is, this is on the day of Pentecost. Okay, and let's look at, look at verse 4, Acts 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. 
And there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. That's the 120 in the upper room. But then you skip over. Peter preaches. Peter opens his mouth. Instead of being a coward, he's a champion. Instead of being a lamb, he's a lion roaring about the greatness of Jesus, the fire of God igniting in his heart and burning within him. Verse 37, now when they heard this, what Peter had said, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? The Spirit convicted them. Just as the Spirit was empowering Peter, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had promised, will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's exactly what was going on. That's exactly what was happening. They were pierced to their heart. And Peter answered in verse 38. Watch these words carefully. He said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, what's the promise? The promise is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Spirit? Paul answers that. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Spirit. Paul always, that was the shorthand version, he always referenced when he said Lord, it would be Lord Jesus or Lord Jesus Christ. If he only uses one part of that, the first part, Lord, he was meaning Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of the resurrected, exalted, ruling, reigning Jesus Christ. It is not the spirit of the humiliated Christ. It is not the spirit of the human Christ. It is the spirit of the exalted Christ. That's why Jesus would say of Jesus that the spirit could not yet be poured out. We'll read this in a minute, John, John 7, because Jesus had not yet been glorified, not yet been exalted to the place that he had with the Father before, before he emptied himself and became a baby in Mary's womb. But that he, he had all authority, all power, the name given above every other name. It was that Jesus who poured out his spirit on the day of, on the day of Pentecost. And, and that's what he's spoken of here. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Verse 41. So then those who had received his word, they received the word about Jesus they received the word about the promise of the Spirit. They embraced those things, and they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place with the apostles. But nowhere in the rest of the second chapter of Acts is there a mention of time. We don't have any indication that those 3,000 who received Jesus were baptized and obviously filled with the Spirit, received the promise of the Father, that they necessarily exhibited the same demonstration of the Spirit's power in them as the 120 in the upper room. You've you got to be careful of, of saying one size is going to fit all. It doesn't, and it's by design. 
It's by design. The Lord wants there to be freedom among his people. He wants there not to be a hierarchy view. Well, these are the ones who've got it, and these poor folks down here don't have it. You got to change. We got to just wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, then, 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 then Paul didn't have it. For a while. Then the Samaritans didn't have it for a while. Then the 3,000 in Jerusalem didn't have it if you start pressing that. So, so that, that, that's, that's wasted time. What is important is not the demonstration, not the particular demonstration, but the presence or the absence of power in the life of the child of God. It's power. It's power. It is the ability to do something that you couldn't do unless it was the Lord supernaturally giving you the ability to do it. Now, that, that may be to design something. That may be to, to lead an army, lead a force. But that may also be for you to be able to forgive somebody who has ripped your heart out and has never said they're sorry, and has never forgive, asked for forgiveness, or a place where hopelessness just seems to be a steady companion, that how can I live, how could I hope to live one more day, even a part of a day, without this shadow of, of discouragement and loneliness and defeat on me? That's what this is all about. The power of the Spirit of Jesus in you to bring out characteristics and attributes of who he is, not just a magnification of who you are, but an expression of who he is. That's why he will say the weaker we are, Paul would write about that, 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 that when we are weak, then he is strong. Paul said, I've, I've, I've quit this. I've, I've, I've stopped complaining about the things that make me weak, that cause me to know my own inadequacies, because what I have learned is his grace is sufficient for me. 2 Corinthians 12, his grace is sufficient for me. And he said to me, my strength is perfected in your weakness. He'll say the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But thank God the spirit of Jesus is still willing to keep me going. The outer man perishes, he would say. The outer man perishes, but the inner man is renewed day by day. That's the point. That's the point. That's the point. Christians are designed, even when we understand who we are, to live in tough places. We are designed by the deposit of the Spirit within us to be able to take stuff that other people would wither amidst the assault. It doesn't mean that that's where we're supposed to be all the time or will be all the time, but it just means the Lord knows if you're depending upon him and you're drinking deeply of him and you're praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit, that he can put you in places that lesser men, lesser women, weaker people couldn't stand it for a second. But he has you there because there's a breakthrough that is needed. There is a victory in lives and family lines and companies that needs to happen. And so he puts you there, he puts you there, and you're listening to his heart, knowing that you're a picked out chosen child of his, that he, he's not just wasting your sufferings or wasting your energy. He has you where he wants you to be. And as you cry out, Lord, fill me. Lord, I need your power. I need your power. He hears you asking, and he knows that you're not relying on your own strength but you're relying on him. You're looking to him to supply you. And folks, listen, 
He'll roll up his sleeves and he'll dump out a fresh load of his power on you day by day because he wants to do that and he knows you need it and he listens for us to ask him about it. All right, so let me, I'm going to give you two or three things. Not that, again, that this, I'm an expert on the subject, but I believe these are three principles that if you will begin to implement them in your life, what it means to live in the strength of the Spirit can become a daily, regular privilege and blessing for you. Number one, number one, and how to live in the power of the Spirit. Number one, sit with these verses. Sit with these verses. I'm fixing to give you five or six of them. It is not the same thing to know what the Bible says as it is to be convinced and be persuaded that what the Bible says is applied to you, that it's meant for you. There's a difference between truth and life. The work of the Spirit will combine the truth of God with the life of who He is and life within us so that we are able to embrace the truth as our very own. Remember where we've been off and on these last few weeks. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith. Keep in mind, too, that means it comes from a verb, the root meaning to be persuaded or to be convinced. Faith means that God, by his spirit, has convinced you of something. He has persuaded you in a way that you get, that you hear, that you understand. He has persuaded you. He has convinced you that certain things are true. Faith comes by hearing. That means the Lord speaks. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. The Lord speaks. And as he speaks to us, we are persuaded that what he has spoken is true and is meant for us. All right, take that and come with me into, into, these, into these verses. I want you to find, first of all, and notch this reference. Write this down. Mark this in your Bible somewhere. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And, and the, the question, the, the, that which we want the answer to in the affirmative is this. Has this ever happened to me? Has this ever happened to me? Matthew 3, verse 11, John the Baptist speaking, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove the sandals, his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, can I ask us all a question? Can you get touched by fire and not know it? Last night, Shirley found some sparklers. I mean, they came over with Noah on the boat or something. I don't know how long they've been around. But our little grandson 
Blanton wanted to light those candles, those little sparklers, as a part of saying goodbye to his uncle and aunt who were heading out. So I'm standing there and he and help him light the thing. And I mean a little old tiny speck of fire comes off that sparkler and it comes right back down and it lands right in the top of this head. It wasn't any bigger than just a little old, little old bitty tiny something. But I want you to know, I started swatting, patting, running, what and my head's on fire. And it was just a little old bitty spark. Folks, how can we say that we've been baptized with the fire of the Spirit and not know it ever happened? But that's some of the theology. You, 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 get, you get everything you're going to get the moment you get saved. You get everything. You, you get access to everything, yes. But not the experiential part of everything at the time you get saved. It can happen then. It can be close to the time that you're saved. But here's the question. Here's the question. Has this ever happened to me? John says there's one way you will know that you've met the Messiah. He gave one sign. It wasn't the cross. It wasn't the empty tomb. It wasn't the breach in the eastern sky when he comes again. Here it is, and it's repeated in all four Gospels. He will baptize you. He will drench you. He will saturate you with his spirit, in your spirit, and with fire. Here's the question. Has that ever happened to me? Has that ever happened to you? All right, so we leave Mark or Matthew and, and go to Mark. I'm, I'm trying to prove, trying to indicate, know whether I can prove it. That, that depends on the, you know, how open we are to receiving some, some, some additional evidence to our position. But that this matter of being empowered by the Spirit's life inside us it was never intended to be just a subpoint, just an asterisk, with the big thing being the cross and the big thing being the return of Jesus. Those are big. Those are essential. Those are right. But all the in-between, how are we going to make it? How are we going to be an authentic witness of the resurrected Christ apart from his resurrected power working inside me. And there's not a way. Mark chapter 1, verse 6, second gospel. John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Move over to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke 3.16. Luke 3.16. John answered and said to them, still John the Baptist still speaking, explaining, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Lord, 
Has that ever happened to me? It's not about failing. It's not about coming in as a second class whatever. It's about, Lord, I've trusted you as my Savior. I believe in the power of your blood. I know heaven is my home. But what I want to know is, has this ever happened to me? If it's repeated in all four Gospels, it's not an asterisk. It's not a sub-point. It's not something that could also be added on. It is essential. It is essential. It is essential that we understand, that we appreciate, that we, we glory in the fact that the Lord knows on my own I'm not going to be able to be strong in every situation all the way through, know the answers, have the resolve, have the vision to be able to get it done. So therefore, Jesus said, I'm sending you the helper who will come alongside you and he'll stand with you and he'll help you. And I'm telling you, folks, that's not supposed to just be an academic mental assertion of, well, yeah, I believe that, and so what? It means, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The New Testament church operated. There's no other explanation for their power, for their victory ultimately over the Roman Empire. They operated in the strength of the Spirit of Jesus alive within them. They had no few, if any, copies of the New Testament to read. The New Testament would not even be formally completed until the 300s AD. They had no Bibles to pass out to new converts. What in the world would their discipleship program, follow-up program look like? That, that they had no copies of Matthew, Mark, Luke. They had no copies of Romans. All they had was the power of the Spirit of the resurrected Christ alive inside their chest. And it was enough. It wouldn't be until the 1500s A.D. During the, at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation that Gutenberg figured out the printing press and started printing Bibles. The plan of God was never to go, here's the cross and here's your Bible. And you just make it the best you can. The promise, the plan of God was, here's the cross and here's the power. And in time, there will be a copy of my word placed in your lap so that we'll have. But it was never intended to take the place of the power of the spirit and the child of God saying, Lord, I need more than words. Even though they're true words. I need more than theological premises. I need your power. You can read all the verses in the Bible on hope and still not have hope. Now may the God of hope, Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you up, watch this, with joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope. How, Paul? By the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, Satan is a transformed angel of light. He won't all, to all the time come in just in darkness and fangs and curling and, 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 you know, and, and, and talons on his hands. He comes in with a Bible. He comes in singing songs of praise. He comes in trying to uplift the saints. And I'm telling you, 
if he can seduce us into believing that we don't really need the power of the Spirit on a daily intimate, we, can just, we just need to study more and get more information. He paralyzes the church in that sense. He, he neuters our power. The Spirit of the living Christ was given for the purpose of transformation, not just information. We live in a church day where there's more information on every topic that, that a Christian could ever think of. But where we fail is where we are substituting information for the transforming power of the Spirit of Jesus in our hearts. It's fine to read stuff. It's fine to explore the in-depth meaning of things. But never is that supposed to be a substitute for my dependence upon the Lord to fill me where I am weak and he knows how to fill me. He knows how to strengthen you just like he knows how to thrill you. He knows how to fill you and me. All right, so, so there we, we sit with these verses. Lord, have I ever been filled with your spirit and with fire? Now, if that rocks your faith world, let it rock it. It doesn't mean that you're, you've denied Jesus. It doesn't mean that you've been devoid of the Spirit's work in your heart because Paul would say, if we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to Jesus. So it is the work of the Spirit that causes us to realize we need to repent. It's the work of the Spirit who shows us Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit doing the born-again part inside us. But folks, please hear this. Everybody in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus spoke to, preceding Acts 1-8, all of them, all of them, knew he died on the cross for their sins. They knew where he was buried. They saw him standing in resurrection power right before them. They were saved. The Spirit of the Lord had opened their eyes, given them the ability to receive, to see who Jesus was. But it was to that group that Jesus said to saved people. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, there is a work that accompanies. It's not separate from. It's not distinct from in, the, in a total sense of the work of the cross. It's, it's a part of the whole process. He saves us. He washes us. He redeems us from the enemy. He sets us free from the, from the grip of the enemy in order that we may now be filled with his spirit. Do you, do you see, please understand, they didn't have copies of the gospel of John to give to the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. They didn't have copies of Paul's letters to give them to decipher them. So what were they depending upon? What were the church leaders dependent upon? Printed material? Digitized information? Or would they have to be depending upon what Peter said? The promise of the Father is for you and your children as many as the Lord shall call unto me. What was the promise of the Father? It was the pouring out of the Spirit in power to make the life of Jesus not just a standard or a silhouette we try to copy, but the, someone who would literally and actually be alive in us at work 
and strengthening us where we're weak and filling us where we're empty. I I just want to challenge you. I I have done that in my own life. Read through the clear stated passages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and say, Lord, I don't know how much of that's happened to me, but where there's more that you want to give. You said, open your mouth wide. He said, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. My mouth's propped wide open, Lord. Fill me with what you know I need to have. It's not a luxury. It's not that he just bequeaths this to certain ones in the church. It's a necessity. And if it is not by means of the power of the Spirit doing what we do in the church and in the name of Jesus, watch this. Find, find the Gospel of John. Turn over or keep going to your right a little bit. Listen, look at these words. Jesus, in John chapter 6, verse 63. John 6, 63. Here's, a, here's another one. Another. Write this. Just sit with this verse. Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit under life. You know what that's saying? That's saying a Sunday school teacher or a preacher can stand up with a Bible open, with a well-alliterated, organized, illustrated body to present, and if it is done in the flesh, in the energy of the flesh, with the mind of the flesh, Jesus says about the sermon, about the lesson, about the speech, about the whatever, the acts of kindness, so to speak, if it's done in the flesh, it profits nothing. Now, now that's some, that'll just, that, just, that just freaks some folks completely out. You mean I could be standing up and singing? I mean, I could be standing up and lifting up the name of Jesus in various ways, and it still profit nothing? If it's done without the power of the Spirit of Jesus energizing you, sir, ma'am, absolutely. Jesus didn't stutter. The flesh profits nothing, but my spirit gives life. It is life here it is the giving of life, to, but it is also life that has the capacity to impart life. That's why you hear some people or listen to some things, and it's like the sound, even though the words may write, be right, it just doesn't go any farther than the sheetrock because it has no power to impart life. But Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing, <laughs> but my spirit Gives life. You know how sometimes we get we get want to get fussing, get, 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 we get bent out of shape over people that you know that we're trying to straighten them out, straighten them out, get them to th- do right, talk to them, things into them, and and we're mad and we're not you know it's like we're telling them the truth, but we're mad about it. We're telling them the truth, but but you know we're just having to deal with resentment and so forth. It better just just keep your mouth shut. You know I say that <laughs> just don't say anything. The flesh profits nothing. Even scripture quoting, hymns singing, preacher preaching in the flesh profits nothing. But the Spirit gives life. Sit with that. 
Well, what about all that I've been trying to do for God? What's flesh? What's spirit? If it's spirit, it's life to you, and it has the power to impart life to folks that you're trying to minister to. Right, but then here, look at this one. Turn the page. John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Okay, now who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is this standing and crying out? This is God in a human body. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So read this as it being God standing up before a throng, a great crowd of people, and crying out. He's not speaking it in conversational tones. There was an urgency about what he's saying. That there is a priority to what he is saying. How can we miss it? How can we miss it? In the light of what this is saying, how can we go from the cross to a printed Bible and miss what he's saying right here? So what does he say? Jesus stood and cried out, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. John interprets, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's why it was on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had been taken up into heaven and received all the glory and honor that he had with the Father before, plus that additional name that's above every other name, the name Jesus. It was from that perspective, that place, that Jesus poured out his Spirit upon the church. But what are these rivers of living water? I, I want to just offer this. I, I can't say that it's for sure that this is what he means. But in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What if this one great river of the life of the Spirit within us contains these wonderful currents within the river? The love of God. The love of God not just for us, but the love of God for people. For people. The ability to love people when things within us would say, I don't want to love them. They've hurt. They're dangerous. Joy. His joy. What, what, if, what if the rivers of living water are coming up within that aren't tied to, and this is very important, it's not tied to what the observable circumstances are around. He who believes in me from within himself, within herself, shall find rivers of living water. I'm gonna have, would, you, would you write that one down somewhere? And Lord, has that ever happened to me?
Or is this just one of those verses that, that we treat as unknowable, put it on a shelf, set it in a, in a category somewhere, but we don't think about it very much, or we just think that it's impossible to ever experience Notice how he says, if anybody's thirsty, he attracts us to himself by the allowance of thirst in our lives, places of lack in our lives, places where we can't fix in our lives, places where we don't know what to do next in our lives. Those things create a thirst. If anybody's thirsty, you come to me with your thirst. And what you'll find coming from me back into you is more than you could ever bring to me. I will meet your thirst with this, with this unending supply. You ever try to wade across a river that's flowing, that's living, living water, it's moving? You ever try to dam up a creek? You can't contain a river. You can't stop a river. You, you, you can, you're, you're hard-pressed to channel a river. Jesus is saying, you come to me, and I'll show you what it means to have on the inside of you rivers of living water flowing out. My brother, my sister, the statements of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the statement of Jesus with regard to Life in his spirit instead of flesh. This statement, rivers of living water. And then I want you to, I really want you to spend some time with this. Let's read this Acts 1 again. It all cooks down to here. It all boils down to here. What, what, what we do if we, if we escape, if we move ourselves from the Acts 1-8 statement what we do is, is we gravitate toward a religious tradition. We gravitate toward a religious form. And, 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 and religions, by definition, are structures. That's why the life of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit will often be found as an enemy, an enemy to a religion. And there can be Christian religion, denominational religion. Because religion wants to quantify, objectify, wants to get the corners and get everything understandable. And the spirit of Jesus working inside a person won't necessarily explain everything he's doing or she's doing. Or won't necessarily give the next 50 steps as to where we're going to be. And oh, we got to know where we're going. We got to know where we're going. We got to know where we're going. Sometimes the right answer is... I don't know where we're going. My eyes are on Jesus, and wherever it seems like he's going, that's where I'm going. Now, you figure out the rest of it and be able to be happy with that. So let me read this again. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, that's Acts 1-3, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. John baptized with water, 
But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So how big a deal would it be for Jesus to say, the Father has promised this, and I have promised this. And prior to that, John spoke of it. You, we got to adjust our theology to, 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 to do away with the, what he's talking about here. Because the Father wasn't just talking about a cranial acceptance of the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit came on them in Acts again and again. It was something that happened to them. And as a result of that, there was an understanding. There was something more at work in them than they had ever known before. Let's finish these words. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Some of them would be preachers. Some of them, the power would be demonstrated in the ability to articulate truth in ways that people would understand. And that as it was spoken, the convicting power of the Spirit would fall upon folks. But folks, there were mothers in this group. There were business people in this group. There were singles in this group. There were children in this group. And Jesus is saying, you shall receive power in whatever the station in your life is, whatever the assignment is, and the power will result in you having ability that you don't have right now. Folks, they were saved, they were going to heaven, they believed everything, they just didn't have power. They didn't have abilities that Jesus knew they were going to need to be the witnesses for him in their families, at work, and so forth. You shall receive power. I've got to finish. I want to ask you to keep that verse and keep putting that before the Lord. Lord, has this ever happened to me? Step number two is this. Pray as you sit. Convince me, Lord. Persuade me, Lord, that you mean this for me. Because I won't be able to believe it unless you persuade me. That is the meaning of faith, having been persuaded, having been convinced. We're not in trouble. The Lord's not condemning. This is, this is just, I'm just trying to say, hey, hey, there's more than pew sitting. There's more than just reading a Bible. There is more than just trying to act like a Christian. There is the life of Jesus from the top of your head to the soles of your feet that wants an expression through you, desires to express his life through you, and he's waiting for us to ask for it. You say, what do you mean? Luke eleven thirteen. We finish with this. Luke eleven thirteen. You can read the whole context. We just end with this verse. 
if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, but it is present indicative. It is present to those who are asking him. The folks that say, oh, you got all the expression of the Spirit you're ever going to get when you get saved. Would you check this verse out? Before we start delivering categoric theology to folks who are gullible, we accept the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. We receive by faith forgiveness. But we receive the ongoing work of the Spirit in power in our lives by asking for it. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who are asking for it. Asking for it. It, it, It's as if, and the context there is the man, he's got to, you know, somebody's shown up late at night. Jesus makes up the story to illustrate the point. A guy shows up in the middle of the night. Everybody's in bed, but he keeps banging on the door. You remember that? And and, and I need 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 some bread for my friend who's come in. And Jesus will say, it wasn't because it was his friend. It was because the man wouldn't shut up. He just kept knocking and kept knocking and kept asking. The point being... Folks, it was something tangible. It was something practical. It was something little. It was something you could get your hands around. Jesus made that story up to illustrate the point. Then he goes in to say, if everybody that asks and keeps asking is going to get it. Everybody who seeks and keeps looking for it is going to find it. Everybody who knocks and keeps knocking, the door is going to be open. He emphasizes it and emphasizes it and emphasizes it in all capital letters. My Father's heart, my heart is to pour out my spirit in tangible help, informationally, ability, the ability to love, the ability to forgive, the ability to have hope, the ability to do, the ability to stay with it, the ability to not quit, the ability to stick it out. All of those things, they can come in handfuls. They can come in scoops. Sometimes we need a bucket full. But out of these rivers of living water, the Lord has the ability to give to you to put in your hand what you need for the day. Here's how we miss it. If I don't think I need it, and if I never ask for it. If I don't think I need it, maybe God's not going to answer this. We don't know what he means. But there's something about the filling, the empowering of the Spirit is contingent upon you asking for it. Ask for it. Lord, I'm weak. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I got a dream. I've got a dream. I've got something going off in my heart that I'd like to try. But I don't have the means. I I don't know who to talk to. I don't want to. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give and keep giving the Holy Spirit in demonstrations, expressions of power, provision, breakthrough to those who are asking him. Sir, your wife can't do your asking for you. Ma'am, let you fill in your own sentence there. 
How big a deal is it to you to get help? How big a deal is it to you to experience what Jesus is speaking of? Sit with these verses. Pray as you sit. Lord, convince me. Lord, persuade me that you mean this for me. And then as he does that, you get to asking, and you keep asking, and you keep asking, and you keep asking, and you keep asking. It's not about a crisis filling. Now I got it, and I don't have to. This is about a continuous throughout our lives. It's to become a holy habit that we start our days with, live our days with, end our days with. If you then, being evil, know how to give Good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Spirit to those who are asking him? Start asking. Start asking. Start asking. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray. God, I pray. I pray you'll help your children to hear this. I know I, I know I don't do I don't do it really good. I know I don't communicate it as well as it could be. But Lord, I ask you, please, take it beyond the sound of the preacher's voice. Take it beyond the limitation of this expression. Persuade your people, especially the ones in the depth in the depths of need and. Sorrow and loneliness and hopelessness and feelings of great loss of power or lack of power. Lord, would you just quicken within their spirits to begin to ask you and to keep asking you and to keep asking you and to keep asking you. Lord, I need your spirit. I need your spirit's power. I don't have the power. I need your spirit's power. Knowing that as you give it to them, Lord, the, all the glory will go to you. All the praise will go right back to you. Because you took somebody who couldn't do anything. And you put within the ability to do something that they know they couldn't do on their own. And their heart is filled with praise to you. I ask you, Lord, to. Fill heaven with the shouts of praise from the ones on this earth in this Alamo City streaming family who are stepping into this and they're asking and they're receiving. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So grateful. That you all are here in this house, those of you who are in this house, so grateful that you are in your house and you are where you are and that together we're sharing this time in the Lord. He's not weak. He's not absent. He's here. He loves you. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. It's my prayer. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, that's where it all begins. Open your heart right where you sit, right, right where you are. Jesus, the best I can, I receive you into my heart as my Savior. 
the one who died for my sins, paid for my sins. The best I can, I receive you into my heart to be my Savior. And Lord, I ask you, I don't want to wait like the preacher's been talking about. I don't want to wait. I need power now. I need power now. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit and your power. He will hear that, and I believe he'll honor it. Amen. Amen. God bless you for being with us today. Bless you, those of you in this room. Thank you for coming. We'll all stand together, and we'll be dismissed, and we'll look forward to the day when we're going to be able to hug necks and shake hands, and that, that's coming hopefully not too far in the future. But for right now, we'll mind our manners, right? And we'll behave ourselves and do as we need to do. God bless you. God bless you.